Tomorrow, we celebrate Memorial Day. That's a day that's been set aside to remember those that have given their lives in service to their country. This was something that was originally started back shortly after the, the Civil War. Uh, originally, it was known as Decoration Day. Uh, it finally uh, came to its, its present form in the 1970s. And it's, it's one of those things that it, it's good for us to do from time to time. You know, you hear uh, occasionally people make the statement that freedom isn't free, and it's not. It costs blood, and a lot of it. And it's right and proper that we remember those who have given their lives in service to their country. It's unfortunate that uh, in the minds of a lot of people, uh, in our day and time, uh, Memorial Day has become just the unofficial start to the summer vacation season. You know, when people think about Memorial Day, that's all they think about. Oh, summer is starting. You know, this is when vacations start. Kids are out of school. We have an opportunity to go here or go there. And at the very least, we get a day off work. You know, a day off work will justify almost anything in the minds of some people. We get a chance to go to the lake. It's one of those things, I don't go to the lake, haven't gone to the lake in years and years and years, but from what I understand, if you go to the lake on Memorial Day, generally speaking, you could walk from one bank to the other on the boats and never get your feet wet. A lot of people do that. It's time for cookouts, time for family and friends to get together and enjoy each other's company, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with enjoying a day off work. There's nothing wrong with getting together with friends and family uh, and enjoying each other's company. There's nothing wrong with having a, a cookout. But at least spend a little bit of time, take a few minutes out, and remember the people that died for our country. It's just right and proper that we do that. You know, Christians get to celebrate a memorial every first day of the week. And uh, I, I mentioned this morning during our class time that uh, we badly stand in need of being reminded about things from time to time. And that's, that's one of the things that, that uh, denominational uh, people have a, a little bit of an issue with occasionally is, well, why do you take the Lord's Supper every first day of the week? You know, we only do it once a year, and it means so much more to you if you just do it once a year. Well, the thing is, I don't know about you, but my attention span is not very long. Uh, it, it's difficult for me to remember things over any real length of time. Uh, and so I need to be reminded about things on a fairly regular basis. And I am fully convinced that that is why when, when the, the Lord's Supper was instituted, and that's when it began to be observed by the, uh, the church in the first century, that it was done every first day of the week. Because if we don't do things, if we're not reminded about things on a regular basis, we forget. You know, I mentioned 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning, verse 12, Peter said, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. He said, you already know this. 
And not only do you know it, but you're established in the present truth. You know it really well. But he said, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, even though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right. As long as I am in this tent, in other words, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. He said, I'm going to remind you about these things even though you know them. I'm going to remind you about these things as long as I'm alive. And even after I'm dead, I'm going to remind you about these things. Why? Because we forget. We forget things. And it's, it's relatively easy for us to forget. And that's why we partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. To remind us. You know, even, even back under the law of Moses, back in the book of Exodus, Moses is talking about uh, the Passover. And this was something that the, uh, uh, the children of Israel were supposed to do on a regular basis as long as they existed. And he said there in verse 26 in Exodus chapter 12 that there would come a time when children would ask, what do you mean by this service? In other words, they didn't know. Why are we doing this? And he said, this is an opportunity for you to do some teaching. And you need to remind them about why you're doing it. And so when, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we have an opportunity. If somebody, perhaps they're just new to the church, perhaps they're just visiting, perhaps it is a youngster. And they ask, why do, why do we do this? We need to be able to tell them why we do it. But again, unfortunately, oftentimes we forget. We don't remember. I mentioned again this morning that we have a problem occasionally with when we do things habitually. We do them on a regular basis. We get where we just do them by habit. And we're not really thinking about them. Uh, that, that is one of the things that is a, a really wonderful thing about the human brain. We're able to do that. God created our minds so that we can do things that we're used to doing without having to think about them. It's just an automatic thing. It's like your body takes over and does it while your mind's somewhere else. And that is a good thing a lot of the time. But there are times when it is not a good thing. There are times when we need to pay attention to what we're doing. And when you're talking about the Lord's Supper, that's one of them. This is one of those issues that, that you can't do just by habit. Uh, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is talking to a congregation that has forgotten why they were taking the Lord's Supper. They've started doing it for another reason. Starting in verse 17, he says, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. In other words, I'm not talking about the good things you're doing. I'm talking about the bad things that you're doing. I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. 
For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. It was supposed to be, but it wasn't. He said, you are supposed to come together as a congregation of God's people in part to take the Lord's Supper, to worship God in that way, and to remind yourselves of some things. That is part of the reason that you come together as a congregation. He said, but that's not what you're doing. You're doing something else. Verse 21, for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Now, there is a, 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 a misconception among some people that the Lord's Supper originated as a common meal and that gradually over time it became to be what it is today. And that is not the case. It has always been what it is today. Now, it may not have been uh, offered in exactly the same way that we do it now, but its purpose and its general form has always been the same. It did not start as just a common meal where the Christians got together and ate. And that's the point that Paul is making here. He said, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? He said, why are you coming and you're turning the Lord's Supper just into a meal? And some of you are eating before other ones even get there. He said, I'm not going to praise you for that. You're doing it wrong. You're not doing the right thing. You're not doing it the right way. You're not doing it for the right reason. He said, you need to change these things. And then he reminds them, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26, which Brother Wayne read for us a moment ago, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That's what we're doing. We're not getting together for a common meal. We're not just doing something because that's the way we've always done it. We're not doing it out of habit. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until such time as he comes back. In other words, we do this for the rest of history, for as long as it takes. We do it to proclaim his death. Now, this is, is, is I think, one of the, the great parts about the Lord's Supper, or should be, but it, it's something that we, we tend to, again, forget. We overlook. Why are we doing it? Sometimes... I think that we as, as members of the Lord's Church kind of get into the habit uh, of thinking about things, well, we just do this uh, to be different than denominations. We just do this because we're, we're different and we want to highlight the differences, and so that's why we do it. 
It's not. Now, yes, we're different than denominations. We're not a denominational group. We are the church that, that was built by Jesus, bought and paid for with his blood. But we're not doing things different just to be different. We're doing things differently because that's the way we're told to do them. And one of the things that we're told to do is to proclaim the Lord's death. And we've got to keep that firmly in mind while we're doing it. And that's the purpose. When we serve the Lord's Supper, we have, have men who, who read from Scripture about it. We have men who offer prayers about it. And it's done to help us remember the purpose for what we're doing. Why are we doing it? What's the purpose? Don't just do it out of habit. And it, it's one of those things. One of the things that, that we should be reminded about is the fact Jesus died. And he didn't die a nice way. And it's, it's one of those things, you know, you think about, you know, no greater love has, has anyone than this, that he laid down his life for his friends, John 15, 13. There are people, and, and Memorial Day is, is, is in part about this, there are people who will offer to put their lives in place of somebody else. They will do something knowing that there is a possibility that they're going to die. As the poet said, they will place themselves be between their homeland and the war's desolation. They'll say, I may get killed doing this, but I'm going to do it because it's worthwhile. But they're talking about a possibility. This is something that may happen. Jesus did it when he knew what would happen. Absolutely, positively, completely knew. And he did it anyway. You know, sometimes I think we forget that, yes, Jesus was God. Jesus is God. Jesus was also a human being. And he had the same problems that human beings do. You know, the Hebrew writer says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He was subject to temptation. Unlike us, he didn't yield to temptation, but he was tempted and he suffered the same way that we oftentimes do. Over in John chapter 12 and verse 27, he's been talking about his, his coming death. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He said, my soul is troubled. What do you think I ought to say about this? Father, save me. Keep this from me. He says, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. He said, I can't ask God the Father to save me from this because this is why I came in the first place. This is why I'm here. And if I don't follow through with this, all of this serves no purpose. Because without his sacrifice, there was absolutely no hope for us. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Without his suffering, we have no hope. None whatsoever. It's based on his sacrifice, his willingness to take our place. And that's what the Lord's Supper helps us to remember. 
the fact that this was something that was planned from the very beginning. It was something that, that Jesus knew was going to happen from the very beginning, and he chose to do it anyway. You know, it's, it's one of those things I, I have oftentimes thought that sometimes the anticipation of something is worse than the something itself. You know, you, you think about something and you suffer a lot because of, of thinking about what's going to happen. And then sometimes after it happens, you think, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Or sometimes you think, yeah, that was every bit as bad as I thought it was going to be. But then you get to suffer twice. You suffer thinking about what's going to happen, and then you have to suffer through it. And Jesus did that. Knowing the whole time what was going to happen, he came anyway. And he had to suffer thinking about this the whole time. And then he had to suffer it. He had to suffer being betrayed by one of those that he called as apostles. He had to suffer being shamed by Roman soldiers. And then he had to suffer on the cross and have the people that he trusted most turn and run. And he had to put up with all of that for me. You know, sometimes I think we, we tend to kind of hide in, in the crowd. Jesus died for the sins of the world. That's true. But we don't think about the fact that if I hadn't sinned, he wouldn't have had to die for me. But I did, and he did. Part of the reason he was on the cross is my fault. I did it. I'm one of the people who put him there. Over in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, Paul said, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were not lovable people. And he died for us anyway. Some people, for, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die for good people. But he said he died for us while we were still sinners. We were bad people. And one of the things, and this is one of those things that should bother you quite a lot. Have you ever done something for somebody and they seem like they just absolutely don't appreciate it at all? You know, you put a lot of time, you put a lot of effort, maybe a lot of money into something, and people act like, eh, it's nothing. Guy was telling me one time about uh, a fella that he knew. He was a new member uh, of their congregation, and he had a, uh, a Bible. This guy had, had said something about not having a Bible, and he had one. Now, it was a used Bible, but th this is one of those kind of people. He was willing to spend money for quality, and he had bought a really, really nice Bible. I mean, this is one of those leather-lined, just, you know, cost a bundle. And uh, he thought, well, I'll give this one to him, and I'll go get another one. And he gave it to him. And the guy was, oh, well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. I've got a Bible now. And uh, he said it wasn't too awful much longer after that, maybe a few months. He said he happened to be walking by in the parking lot, and there was his Bible in the, the back window of the guy's car just all splayed out. 
you know, you could tell that basically as soon as the guy got it, he threw it in the back window of the car, and that's where it stayed the whole time. And he, he was telling me, he said, and you could tell that he meant what he said. That really hurt his feelings. He had done what he thought was a, a, a fairly sizable sacrifice for somebody else, and they didn't care. It didn't mean anything to them. Now, you know, if you've ever had somebody act that way, whether they meant, they meant to do it or not, you know, and a lot of times, and we've all done it, you know, somebody does something for us and we're thinking about something else or we get preoccupied with something or we just forget. And we're not as appreciative as we ought to be. And it can cause somebody to get their feelings hurt. It happens. But if you do something for somebody and, and everything they do just tells you they just don't care, it hurts your feelings, doesn't it? Put yourself in Jesus' place. You are making the greatest possible sacrifice for people who are not going to care. And that has got to be one of the saddest thoughts that you can have. Jesus died on the cross for a lot of people who just don't care. Now, I'm not talking about everybody, obviously not. But you think about it, the majority of people in the world couldn't care less. They don't care at all. Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. The majority of people are on that road. They're going through that gate. And they do it by their own choice because Jesus, by his sacrifice, gave them an option. You know, without his sacrifice, we're all on that road. We're all going through the gate. We've all sinned. All sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's what we did. That's what we earned. That's what we deserve. I hate with a passion all these commercials that tell you to get to this, that, or the other, you deserve. If you didn't work for it, you don't deserve it, period. You deserve what you've worked for. Now, people may offer you things. You should be grateful when they do, but you don't deserve it. What did we deserve? What did we earn? Death, spiritual death. Jesus offers us an option. He says, that's what you deserve. That's what you worked for. That's what you've earned, but you don't have to take it. I give you another option. You can choose to change, and you can choose everlasting life, but it's your choice. Most people say, no thanks. He says, but this choice cost my life. And they say, don't care. No thanks. I just go my own way. I don't care what you did. I don't care why you did it. I don't care how much it cost you. I'm not going to accept it. Don't want to. Jesus died on the cross for a lot of people that were never going to appreciate what he did. And that, to me, like I said, is one of the absolute saddest things that I can possibly think about. The fact that people don't appreciate a gift of that magnitude. Now, over in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, 
The Hebrew writer says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He, 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 he's kind of painting a word picture here. He's, he's been talking over in chapter 11 about all these great characters of faith. And here he's saying, now just imagine that all of these characters that I've been talking about, you know, Abraham, Jacob, all of these others, imagine that they are, are watching you involved in an athletic event of some kind. You've got this great cloud of witnesses that are watching. And he said, being, being encouraged by their example and the fact that they're watching, you need to work really hard to be successful. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And then he goes on and talks about the fact there are some things you've forgotten. You have forgotten some things. We need to look to Jesus for encouragement and also so you don't disappoint him. You know, that, that's one of the things I think we kind of lose to an extent, at least, as we get older. There is a time when, when we're youngsters when we don't want to disappoint our parents. You know, if, if, if they expect something from us, and I don't know about you, but it, it used to hurt me worse, worse than a spanking, and I, I ought to know because I used to get quite a few of those. But it, sometimes it would hurt me even worse for them just to tell me, you know, I expected better than that from you. I expected you to be better than that. And you think, oh, man, I disappointed them, and now they're ashamed of me. I need to do better than that next time. And that's kind of what the Hebrew writer is talking about here. He says, look, you know, when you're going through your life, you know, think about Jesus and all of the things he did for you. And what he went through is worse than anything that you're going to go through. Try not to disappoint him. Try to live up to his expectations. Are we going to do it? No, we're not. We are going to make mistakes. We're going to do things wrong. We're not going to do things right. That's just part of being a human being. You know, 1 John chapter 5, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're going to make mistakes. But what do you do about them? Do you do them not caring about the sacrifice that Jesus made? Or do you do them in spite of that and then think, you know, that, that, that was wrong. I'm a disappointment. I need to change. I need to be better than that. And John went on to say that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can say, I'm sorry. I know what I did. I'm going to try not to do it again. Please help me in that, and please forgive me. And God has guaranteed that he will do it. Why? Because Jesus paid our penalty. He paid the penalty so we don't have to. Think about that. This is a serious matter. And remembering 
what we do when we partake of the Lord's Supper, why we do it, remembering the cause for the whole thing is a serious matter. I was talking this morning about uh, our song service and how that is a serious thing and shouldn't be taken lightly because that is a sacrifice of praise that we offer to God. The Lord's Supper is something that ought to be taken seriously and not taken lightly. Again, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 29, Paul said, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Now, a lot of times I've heard people say that, you know, it, it, they don't feel like they're in, in the proper spiritual condition to partake of the Lord's Supper, and so they won't. When he talks about eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, he's not talking about eating and drinking when you have an issue in your life that you need to fix. What he's talking about is, and he goes on to say this right at the very end of the verse, is not discerning the Lord's body. That's eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. If you are, if you are taking the Lord's Supper and you're not thinking about what you're doing and why you're doing it, he says you eat and drink judgment to yourself. You're not, you're not discerning the Lord's body. You've forgotten why you're doing it. It's just something that you do by habit. And we can't do it that way. It's serious business. And we ought to think about the reason behind it. You know, I, I was the one that should have been on the cross, not Jesus. I'm the one that committed to sin, not him. He offered to take my place. So I didn't have to be there. And we need to think about that. Take it seriously. First John chapter 3 and verse 16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. If you want to know what love is, John says that's the definition. He laid down his life for us. Every first day of the week, we as Christians have an opportunity to, to be involved in a memorial, showing forth the Lord's death until such time as he comes again. It may be that there's someone here this morning that's not a Christian. If that be the case, you could come forward confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and you could be baptized to have your sins washed away. If you're an erring child of God, then you need to go to God in prayer. Confess your sin to him from a repentant heart and ask him to forgive you. And he's promised to do that. If your sin is public in nature, then your repentance should be public as well so that you'll not bring shame and reproach upon the church. Or it might be that there's someone who just needs to come forward and ask for the prayers of those that are gathered here for some other reason. Whatever your need is, would you come forward and make it known while together we stand and sing?